Good morning. So, have you ever been just so incredibly good at something? Well, if not, don't worry, me neither. Um, <laughs> but my point being is that at some point in our life, we've had dreams about being incredibly good at something. Um, when I was a kid, I always wanted to, you know, be a really, really amazing musician. And so I learned the guitar, and then after a while playing the guitar, I realized, I don't think I'm going to be the next, you know, big rock star out there. And so it just kind of, it's kind of a sad point in our lives when we kind of, we understand our own, our own limitations, where we realized, you know, hey, I might, I might not actually be the best at something or anything. But it kind of this whole idea of being the best at something reminded me of a story I heard. And it was a young man who loved basketball, he loved it with all of his being. And he would play every chance he got throughout the week, before school, after school, during lunch. He would play at the park. He would play at his gym. He would play anywhere that he could get his hands on a basketball and find a hoop. And, and he would skip lunch, and he would go out, and one of his favorite places to play was in his own backyard. He, it was, the, the, the concrete was uneven. There were cracks and weeds growing through. He had one of those Walmart basketball hoops that just kind of, you know, you fill up with sand and you can roll it around. And he would just sit there and he would shoot. And he would shoot and he would shoot and he would shoot. And he would shoot his free throws and he would try to practice every chance he got. But sometimes, sometimes he'd get on a roll. And sometimes he would shoot one after another and he'd just keep sinking them. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And he would stop. And he'd take his ball and he'd put it on the basketball hoop's base. And he'd walk inside. And he'd sit down on his couch. And he would bask in what it would feel like to be perfect at something, even just for a little bit. To feel what it's like to not miss a shot, even if it was just for a little bit. And I think that, that as we strive to be good at things, as we strive, there's just this constant, you know, nag in the back of our mind that we got to find, you know, we got to find the perfect, we got to find the perfect job. We got to find the perfect school. And, and in that perfect job and in that perfect school, you know, sometimes we want to have the, the perfect year. We want to have that perfect semester where, we're, where we, get, we get all A's. Sometimes we want to find the perfect spouse. And there's one point in our life where we realize that, you know, sometimes that perfection is just a little bit out of reach. And it's disappointing, but it's also a little bit freeing. And sometimes we have to face the very painful truths of our own limitations. And, um, and that's what Paul is going to help us face today in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. So now that we're all excited about learning about our own shortcomings... Let's go ahead and turn there, Romans 7, verse 1. So after the, after the past couple months, we've been working our way through Romans. And in this journey through Romans, we've been covering so many different aspects of the gospel, so many different aspects of the word of God. We've, we've touched on evangelism and grace and judgment and righteousness and faith. And there's one thing that Paul keeps coming back to, and it's the law. And he mentions this a lot throughout, the, throughout, throughout Romans. He's constantly coming back to the law. And in Romans 7, 
He looks at just how the law of God, the Mosaic law, affects us as human beings. So let's go ahead and read together in Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law. The law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. And if her husband dies, she is released from the law, and that binds her, released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relationships with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. Him who is raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. So we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once was bound, we have now been released from the law so that we served in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So Paul kind of jumps into this example. He takes marriage, something that most of us are familiar with, um, and he uses it as a way to kind of introduce us to what the law means to us. And so Paul uses marriage, and, for, and it's important for us to realize is that he's not talking about 21st century American marriage, where it's, it's fairly acceptable to, you know, to, for divorce isn't as something that's, that's as culturally taboo as it is back then. Because for Paul and, and for the Jews, marriage was a covenant. It wasn't something that, that you just entered into and, and, and you could get out of whenever you want. For, for, many, for many of the Jewish people, it wasn't something that was just a covenant between them and their spouse. It wasn't just a, company, a covenant between, you know, them and the people that were witnesses. It's a covenant between them and their spouse and God. And it was something that was binding and something that, that was held onto as sacred. And so what he's, he's using this example that says, you know, when we look at the law of marriage, it binds us and it binds us forever until we die. And he uses that example to teach us that with this relationship with the law. And, and, and if, we're not, if we're not familiar with the, how the law works and, and what Paul's talking about, he's talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about how, you know, we, the, the human race was introduced to God's will for us. We had commandments that tell us what and what we're not supposed to do. And for us as people, when we get this measurement, when we get, when we get this, 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 thing that we can measure ourselves against this law, we realize we come up very, very, very short. When we realize that God said, do not steal, steal do not kill, you know, do not, do not murder, these are things that we are just not good at not doing. And it doesn't take long to look at the world to realize that we live in a very, very broken world, and we make mistakes and so when God introduced this law and he showed us, he's like, here, this is my will for you. This is who I want you to be. And we see it and we realize that we come up very, very, very short. I've said this a bunch of times. And it's this. 
I don't have to convince you that the world's broken. I don't have to convince you that the world's broken. However, most people can agree that although a person can be good, people as a whole tend to be broken. We tend to be lost. It's easy to look at, look at the they's of the world, the those people, the groups that, that perpetuate hatred and the, the groups that perpetuate fear and violence and to see just how broken the world is. And it's easy to lump the brokenness on the shoulders of these people that we see as the really broken ones. And I believe that you can convince that just about anybody that the world's broken. But it's almost completely futile to convince somebody about how our own brokenness contributes to this world. And I think that's the hardest thing to digest about Christianity and about faith in Christ, is that when we come and we look at the word of God, it's a mirror. And we get to see just how short we fall, just how broken we are in the sight of an amazing God. All you have to do is read the Bible a little bit, and there are so many scriptures that confront us with our own brokenness. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, all have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteousness, righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shriveled up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. In Romans 10 through 12, and 23, it says, as it is written, none are righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus himself tells us that he is the way and the truth and the life, and that nobody can come to God before him. And so when we look at the word of God, we have to come to the harrowing realization that these goods things that we're capable of doing right are like pebbles. They pale in comparison to the magnificence of God. And so we ask the question, how can God think I'm so broken? How can God think that, I, uh, that, that my righteousness, as he calls it, is, is filthy rags? I can love. I can forgive. I try to do good. I care for the people I love. I try to do all the right things. But there's a point where we look at these things and we realize our love isn't perfect. Because yeah, we can love. But there's also all of those people that we hate. We can forgive. But there's always still somebody that we hold bitterness towards. We can care, but that care has a limit. And we realize that in the face of God, these pebbles, these things that we think are goodness and these things that we think are righteousness, we wear them as a trophy, as these filthy rags. And we present them to God. And he shows us just how short we fall. And it's terrifying. It's terrifying to feel like we don't have what it takes to save ourselves. And what Paul is doing here in this first, in this first chunk is that he is introducing us 
to why we need God. He is introducing us. He is laying a foundation and he's sharing, he's gonna share something amazing. He's gonna share something powerful, but first he has to have us come face to face with our own brokenness. The thing that he's about to call our fruit, the things that we produce, he calls them fruit of death. Paul is very serious about what he's talking about here. And so when we look at, if we, if we look back and we read, he gives us a change of pace and he points to Christ. He says, just like, just like a husband can die and set a, free, uh, set a wife free from the law, he says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died in the law through the body of Christ. He's pointing us back to the gospel. He's showing us that that death that is required to separate us from the law is something that, that, that Christ paid for. It's something that we couldn't pay for because if we did, it would separate us from God eternally. But Christ did something amazing and that he gave himself so that we could face God with a renewed relationship, with a renewed intimacy. And he does this really amazing thing is that he uses the word bound and he contrasts it with the word release. Whenever he's talking about sin, he's like, when we all started, we were bound to sin. We were trapped. We were closed. We were caged by our own brokenness. It separated us from God. It destroyed us. It, it made us bear fruit of death. But in Christ, we get a release and we get to be belong to another. We get to belong to Christ and we get to serve him in a different manner. And he gave us a purpose. He gave us a purpose to bear new fruit. <laughs> He's calling us back. <laughs> And so we have a new relationship. We have a new connection to God. And we shift out of this connection where, where before we were under the law and God told us, you know, these are the things you have to do and we come up short. And it's terrifying and it's scary and we, we can't do anything about it. But then he, he, he hands us away so that when we look at ourselves now, we're not under the law. And when we look at God's law, it's not something that's condemning us. It's not something that's... That, that's that's showing us our shortcomings because now what we have is we don't have those filthy rags. We don't have those, those, those broken pebbles that we hold on to. We have something different. We have the righteousness of God that we can wear. We have the truth of his salvation. We have his grace and we have mercy. And so we step into a whole different, a whole different covenant, a whole different plan. And he gives us a purpose. He gives us fruit. And for us, it's an opportunity to break the cycle of brokenness. I've seen the amazing work that God can do in our lives. He can take those who grew up in a broken household, who experienced abuse, who experienced pain, who experienced neglect, who experienced fear, who never knew that they were worth it, and he could take these people and he can restore them. 
And he can help them build a home based on love and tenderness and kindness and forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. He can take the broken and he can restore them. And that fruit is beautiful. There is too much brokenness in this world. There's too much pain in this world for us to not, for us to take this lightly. He makes it, he gives us a contrast of this, of this, this fruit of death and this fruit of life. And one of the things, a while back, we were going through Galatians, uh, the fruit of the spirit with the kids in the children's ministry. And one of the things we talked about every single Sunday was how does fruit grow? How does fruit grow? And every time we, 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 would, we would, Lexi, do you know how fruit grows? Do you want to share with us how fruit grows? Go ahead. That's perfect. And, that, and that's exactly the point, is that, is that when we plant, when we look at fruit, and we look at how plants grow, there's an intentionality to it. That you, you have to dig that hole. You have to plant that seed. And then, and then you water it, and you tend to it, and you nurture it, and you care for it. And then at the end, you've got this bush. You've got this plant. You've got this tree that bears fruit. And you take those fruit, and you do the same thing. And after a while, you've got an orchard. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, don't let your orchard be death. Don't let your orchard be unforgiveness. Don't let it be brokenness. Don't let it be hatred. Because what we, what we sow our seeds, it's what we get back. It's what we perpetuate. And so when he's looking at us, he's like, you have a new opportunity. You, have, you, have, you are a new person. You have new ground to work with. And I want you to see the amazing plan that God has for you because he wants you to take this amazing fruit. He wants you to take love and forgiveness and kindness and tenderness and mercy and grace and, and patience. And he wants you to sow those things, not just in your own life, but in the lives of others. Because God forbid, we plant fruits of death in the life of the people around us. We have a new chance. We have a new opportunity to do something beautiful and impactful, to change the legacy of brokenness that maybe was passed down to us from our parents, to change the legacy of brokenness that maybe exists in our family today. And it doesn't just end there. It doesn't just end with our lives, and it doesn't just end with our families, but if we, we can take it into our workplaces, we can take it into the lives of our friends, we can take it into the lives of our church. And that's what we're trying to do as Campbell Community Church is that, is that we wanna take this and we wanna give it to our neighborhood. We wanna give them fruit of love and joy and mercy and show them that this is a place that we can call home, a place of safety and healing, a place where Christ can work in our lives. One of the other things we talked about in our children's ministry is that one of those ways to plant those fruit in our own lives and the lives of others is just to simply practice. To practice being loving. To practice being kind. To practice putting ourselves out there and being in people's lives. To actively make ourselves vulnerable to people who, will, who might reject us because 
You know, even if they do, it was worth it to show them a little bit of love and a little bit of kindness. And we don't have the luxury of picking and choosing who this fruit goes to. We don't have the luxury of just picking the nice neighbors to be loving to. We have a calling to go out, a commission to be a light to this world. And I'll tell you one last thing. As I truly believe that God has made us, each other, one of the most important things on this earth. One of the most beautiful things that we can do is share our light with somebody else and give them hope and give them joy. It's something that Christ died for. It's something he died to give us and something he calls us to work at, to plant these seeds in our life, to plant these seeds in the lives of others so that we can share beautiful fruit, that we can share love and tenderness and kindness and show them where it comes from because it comes from Christ. It comes from God. It comes from his love. It comes from the gospel. It comes from the opportunity to sit in this room together and bask in the amazing truth that is the hope we have in Christ. And we can't take it lightly. So, if we go home, if we go throughout our week, and we take one thing with us, it's this. Bear the right fruit. Bear the right fruit. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for the opportunity to know you, the opportunity to, to learn about your will, to learn about the amazing grace, the amazing opportunity, the amazing love that you have in store for us. That Lord Jesus, that in you we have healing and we have growth and we have an opportunity to be more than we could ever be on our own. And I am so thankful for your love and your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.